Welcome to the newest episode of Entertainment Geekly. I'm Darren Franich. Joining me, as always, from the Balboa County Sheriff's Office in lovely Neptune, California, <laughs> is Entertainment Weekly's Jeff Jensen. Uh, hey, that very nicely done, Darren. I was just hanging out with Deputy Leo and uh, and talking about his new roommate, who seems to be kind of like a lovely piece of work. A new girl reference. That, that, that was, Jeff. There, uh, that was my attempt at sort of topical, like, pop culture humor. And I'm done. Thank you, everybody. Good night. I thought, I thought you achieved it very well. Thanks, everyone. That's been the new episode. Um, Jeff, <laughs> listen, we're, we're having fun here. It's, it's a fun day. It's a good day for America. Um, let's, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about Veronica Mars. Uh, <laughs> yesterday, exclusively, Jeff Jensen of Entertainment Weekly broke the news that Veronica Mars was starting a Kickstarter campaign to kind of launch a, a revival. Do you want to kind of like, you know, give, give the backstory on that, Jeff? Right. Well, to be more specific, it wasn't quite Veronica Mars per se, but the creator of the show, Rob Thomas, and the star of the show, Kristen Bell, who of course plays Veronica Mars, um, they have been very public for quite some time that they would love to give their fans more adventures of Veronica Mars in some form, specifically a movie. Um, they were as disappointed as anyone when the CW decided to cancel the show in 2007, and, 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 and they wanted to do more. They felt like they had more story to tell, and they really loved that experience, and it sounds like the whole cast you know, really bonded. And you know, we see these every once in a while in pop culture, like you know, uh, casts and crews of of, of shows that act, that actually surprisingly enough enjoy working together. Yeah, people <laughs> who actually seem to enjoy each other's company and want to be together again. It's 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 very strange, very unheard yeah. of in, in Hollywood. And uh, you know that they believed in the stories that they were telling, and they enjoyed the characters they were playing, and there was more to do. So um, yeah, um, you know, it was a show that if you if you watched it at all, or or or, or maybe heard of it, I mean, it was. It was so much better than you thought it would ever be on just on on paper on the surface. You know, it was it was a really smartly written deep show about about you know like older stages of adolescence and young adulthood, but also this sort of depiction of this town Neptune and of class and race in this town and wealthy and the poor and um, and different ethnicities and and. And, and, and various stripes of people like it was great you know it was and, and, and at the center of it all was was this great character in Veronica Mars who had like probably one of the best parent-child relationships in all of television history like <laughs> her, her, her relationship with her dad was just great um, anyway great show sad to see it go fans were sad the creators were sad so hey maybe more movies but you know like the, the like you know the story on that goes that um, that you know, in the in the, in the you know the first year or two after cancellation, um, Rob Thomas talked with Joel Silver, whose production company produced, I believe, the the show. But he, you know, Joel Silver was one of the big executive producers on the show, and it was based at Warner Brothers. And they kind of did this sort of like they kicked the tires on whether or not Warner Brothers could do a feature film, and 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 Warner Brothers theatrical determined that you know there was just no market for a for uh, the kind of movie that they would they would make, there was no market for that kind of Veronica Mars movie, like a you know forty, fifty, sixty plus million dollar movie with a sizable marketing budget. You know this just wasn't going to work. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, you know, one of the things that was a revelation to me in the course of reporting of all of this was learning that they, that 
Um, similarly, like Joel Silver presented Rob Thomas with the idea of doing a, a, a straight-to-DVD movie, um, which, they, which he felt like th- that could be done, but it sounded like that, um, that um, Rob didn't like the idea or Rob and Kristen didn't like the idea or there was going to be enough support for that. I think that there might have been enough of a stigma uh, around direct-to-DVD at that time and, and still remains to this day that they were like, no, if we can't, if we can't do a big fancy movie, we're, we're not going to do anything at all. And so it, the, the dream just seemed to kind of die um, even though Kristen and Rob remained very public about, like, we'd, we'd love to do it, although I found really interesting in the reporting that, you know, Kristen was always very positive and supportive of the idea and would indulge any journalist request or any fan request for, like, you know, what are your feelings about a Veronica Mars movie? And, and she would be like, I'm all for it. And uh, But Rob kind of said that, you know, over the past couple of years or even the past three or four years, that he's sort of like tried to avoid the questions because he's just like, you know, he got increasingly bummed, you know, he just kind of felt like it was never going to happen and he didn't want to encourage the fans to sort of, you know, believe in something that just wasn't going to happen. So I think he tried to avoid these questions over time. Um, So cut to the scenario that kind of broke this week, which is that apparently the story goes that about two years ago, Rob uh, discovered this newfangled thing called Kickstarter. And he watched um, his friends in a band um, called Cat- uh, Cotton Mather, um, who had uh, performed a song on the, on, in the first season of the show, um, kind of fund a, a, a record release through Kickstarter. And he, um, Rob says that a, 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 a mutual friend of the band and his like said to him, Hey, half jokingly, hey, you should fund a Veronica Mars movie like this. And uh, Rob kind of went, ha ha ha. And then he started thinking about it some more. And he was like, Yeah, like, well, why can't I? You know, like, well, like maybe that's an idea worth exploring. So he called his agent. Uh, they talked to Kristen. They went to Warner Brothers and they kind of pitched this idea what if we tried to fund a low budget? Veronica, Veronica Mars movie as for, for a theatrical release through Kickstarter. And um, what ended up happening is, I, while I'm not sure if Warner Brothers Digital Distribution, which is a smaller division of the giant Warner Brothers company, was the first place where they pitched this idea, it ultimately landed there. And um, Warner Brothers Digital Distribution is a division of Warner Brothers that handles um, the digital distribution of Warner Brothers content. Um, so they do the deals for like video on demand and uh, other digital platforms like iTunes, blah, 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 stuff like that. Um, but they've also kind of worked with other filmmakers in recent years to create original content and distribute it over the Internet or, or things um, uh, filmmakers like Brian Singer and, and Mick G, they've, they've, they've developed sort of like w- web series with them. Are you still with me, Darren? I'm following this. This is, there's so many levels of media that are all coming together in this right now. I feel exactly. like I'm, I feel like I'm reading like, like a Grant Morrison comic book set entirely in, <laughs> in the fifth dimension where all time and space are one. So, wow. so okay. I'm, I think, I, I think I'm with you though, Jeff. I, I, it's actually not that interesting, Darren, but, but, but it's very cool that you think so. Anyway, so um, that's where Rob and Kristen found themselves with Warner Brothers Digital Distribution, 
and they liked the idea, and they they thought, hey, maybe this is something that we can help you on. This was about a year ago now, and um, so they said, well, let, let's 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 go down this road. And so about a year ago, they um, Rob on a Saturday morning, um, Rob who now lives in Austin, Texas, flew out to Los Angeles, um, uh, met up with Kristen, um, and they shot the video. Um, that you now see on the Kickstarter page, um, the very, very funny video in which uh, it, 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 um, it imagines that uh, various cast members of Veronica Mars kind of like live and hang out with uh, Kristen in her house, and, they, and, and that this has been the case since the cancellation <laughs> of, of Veronica Mars. Um, and they decide, well, maybe we should kind of move on with our lives, and let's do that by actually making a movie. Um, my favorite part of that video is learning that Rob Thomas kind of spends his days entertaining uh, Kristen and the other cast members <laughs> by putting on puppet shows for them. Um, so let's not make puppet shows anymore. Let's actually make a movie. And so that's the premise of the video. This video was actually shot, was shot last year, like February of 2012. Um, and um, the story goes is that they wanted to launch the campaign this time last year, and uh, and 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 shoot the and they wanted to shoot the the film last summer which means that we should be living in a world right now with a Veronica Mars movie. But after they shot the video, um, apparently the larger corporation of Warner Brothers um, caught wind that, they, that, that the, the, the team was really serious about this, and they saw the video, and they were like, oh, like, this is good. It's going to have an impact. And the way that the story was told to me is that at that point, other divisions of Warner Brothers got involved or other executives at Warner Brothers way up high on the food chain kind of said, let's slow this process way down and take a harder look at this business model and make sure that that we're not getting in any kind of trouble here. Let's like, you know, make sure Kickstarter is the right way to go. Let's look at this business model. Let's just sort of take some time with it. Sure. Well, well, and also Jeff, as the old saying goes, too many cooks make the broth really, really good. So that, that <laughs> absolutely let's, let's bring in some more people into this project. Nothing can possibly go wrong. <laughs> right. At that point in the narrative, like in terms of how this all came together, to be honest with you, uh, I'm 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 fuzzy really on what happened between shooting that video and Warner Brothers saying let's slow everything down <laughs> to, 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 to the place where we're at today. Mm -hmm. um, but the place that we're at today is that this campaign has finally launched. Um, it launched uh, like yesterday. What, what's today's date, Darren? It is it is it is March 14 today. Yes, it is. It is March. I I know that much, Jeff. <laughs> right. So it was on, on at 10:30 in the morning Eastern, 7:30 in the morning uh, uh, Pacific time on Wednesday, March 13. Uh, the, the, the Veronica Mars the movie Kickstarter campaign uh, launched with the goal of raising $2 million. And according to Rob Thomas, this is the amount of money that he needs to, to fund the production, at least, of, the, of a, a, a good, solid Veronica Mars movie. Um, the, the business plan for, for this movie 
Um, it's going, the, the marketing, distribution, and promotion, and legal services for this movie is all, was all going to be handled is all going to be handled by Warner Brothers Digital Distribution, and that the plan would be to sort of release this movie uh, for a, in a limited uh, theatrical run, maybe a weekend, maybe two, if it's very successful, maybe even longer, before immediately taking it out of theatrical release and making it available through digital platforms. Um, and so that was the idea, like, but they needed the money for the actual production. Does this include salaries for Rob Thomas, Kristen Bell, and some of the other actors? I wish I can tell you, but what Rob says is, because I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm holding on to this information. Um, um, it's, um, but uh, but yeah, it's like two million dollars for the production budget, um, and uh, and they're going to make the movie. And so, look, when I reported this story, I mean, this story came together very quickly, and we found out about it. And we, we 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 hustled it into in, into print on our Monday deadline. But we 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 did the interviews within like a twenty four to forty eight hour period. We crashed this thing. Like my my expectation, Darren, was like, okay, this is a cool campaign. They have 30 days to raise $2 million. I think they're probably going to do it. Um, it might take the whole 30 days. Maybe it would take two weeks. I don't know how long. I, I wasn't expecting 11 hours. And that's what we saw on, on, on March 13, which is that this story broke. It literally broke Twitter. It hit like uh, it filled the internet. There were a lot of people talking about it. The fans were excited. The the the, the entertainment press was really kind of um, intrigued, and 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 uh, by by this by this whole idea, there was a lot of like valid questions about whether or not this is the right thing to do or the right way to go about it. To ask fans to basically finance a movie that you would think a major corporation would be able to just fund on their own, two million dollars. Come on, Warner Brothers. Um, but you know, th th there was this really great cool electric like conversation on social media as people were both cheering for this thing to succeed but also debating its merits and within 11 hours like the movie was reached its two million dollar goal and then within 24 hours it was up to 2.5 million dollars um and it's continuing to grow and um it will from from what we understand will continue to play out over the next 30 days and um you know, as much money as they can raise is every penny is going to go into the production budget of this Veronica Mars movie, which is going to come out early next year. So that's the whole backstory for anyone who doesn't know it. My, my guess is that if you're listening to this podcast, you probably do. Um, <laughs> so sorry about all of that. But like, um, uh, but. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, and Jeff, you know, I, there's almost too much to talk about here. But to me, this does feel like a legitimate game changing moment in some respects, just because, you know, we've lived for at least the past decade in this sort of era of these emerging fan bases that, you know, even when a show has been dead for, you know, two years, five years, 10 years, they're still very active. Certainly, you know, I think like last year at Comic-Con with the Firefly panel, which you hosted, there was a very vivid sense that, well, this show has been dead for 10 years and people clearly haven't stopped caring about it. This seems to me, I mean, you know, I almost wonder at this point, if you're a producer of a show like that, how are you not going to your respective studio network, whatever owns the property and saying, hey, like, this is something that is a completely viable, uh, you know, viable thing for us? Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 
I understand these questions, and it's and, and it's cool for us to consider them. I think that we should consider them. I think that Veronica Mar- I, I think Veronica Mars is a kind of show that can that can do this really really effect that could could do this well and and could be effective at it. You know, like we're talking about. Um, you know, it's a it, it's a detective show, and it's a, it's a real world gritty detective show, and you can make a gritty low budget movie and make that really really good. It's very script driven. It's very actor driven. You don't need a lot of special effects. Mm-hmm. You don't need a lot of like expensive sound stages. Mm-hmm. Like you know, um, you could shoot it. You know, in in you know it. I mean, it, you can make that movie for two three million dollars. Well, and that's and, 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 you can make it look good. But but can't but here, here's here's where it gets tricky, and this is where I start busting on the model. Busting on the model with Jeff Jensen. Oh man! <laughs> right, right. Well, in terms of kind of like, can we apply this to every other, you know, a, a lot of other situations? So, for example, immediately on my Twitter feed, people were saying, "Oh my gosh." Like, we can make a Firefly movie like this. <laughs> we can get Joss Whedon to get that cast together, and they'll fund a Firefly movie. Uh, and, and, and we could do it through Kickstarter. Come on, people, who's with me? Um, and look, let's just pretend for a second that Joss Whedon and that cast – and you know the the people who own that property, you know Fox or Universal now. I don't know, you know what 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 the deal is there. But like, um, that they're all on board. We'll make a movie if you give us a production budget. <laughs> How much money do you think they're going to have to raise to make a good the the, the Firefly movie that you want to see? Well, I mean, and, Serenity, and, and, Serenity the, the 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 feature film that was made and financed by War, by Universal. After Firefly's cancellation, cost like you know anywhere from like thirty to forty million dollars. So it's one thing I think to raise two million dollars on Kickstarter, um, but raise thirty or forty million dollars. And my question, what I'm really building up to is, it's not that so much, you know, it's like maybe they could raise that money. Maybe I'm missed, you know, like underestimating the Firefly fan base. But what I'm kind of wondering is if I am. Uh, if I own the rights to Firefly, if I'm Fox and I own Firefly, and I know that I can make money off of Firefly, the television series, by licensing it to science and, and other kinds of things, if I, ha- if, I, if, if, I, if I try this and I try this with Joss Whedon and I kind of put like, you know, this idea of like financing a movie out there, what if they don't meet that goal? Mm-hmm. You know, like, what's the damage to the brand of a television show like this, a Firefly show, where what all you've done is just expose that there's just no market for it? Absolutely. You know I what mean, I mean? Well, and, and it's funny, you know, I mean, like, uh, I, I, I feel like yesterday was one of those days where all I really wanted to do was read Twitter because there were so many interesting sort of ideas being thrown out around this whole kind of Kickstarter thing. And I remember someone just sort of, like, asked the question, all right, now which is going to be the first show that tries this and fails? And to me, it's like, you know, listen, people who love Carnival, like, I understand, but, like, like just that's a show where I see someone trying it and it's just not making its goal. <laughs> Right. So it, it it does seem like now for me though, Jeff. The other kind of interesting side question, even like setting aside the sort of very real, intriguing, sort of disturbing uh, economic questions that this brings up, is you know 
is this actually going to be a good thing for for TV shows? I mean, you know, like it's funny to to bring up Firefly, which did already have its own, you know, complete Hail Mary movie made. You know, I I enjoy Serenity just fine. Do I think it really added a lot to Firefly? Mm, I I don't I don't really think so. I mean, it, it, I certainly think that you know, if anything else, it's interesting that it seemed to go so completely in this direction of, you know, it killed off a few characters and things like that. But I, I do sort of worry, you know, as someone who enjoyed Veronica Mars just fine, but wasn't necessarily a fervent fan, you know, is this really something I want to see happen? Just bringing back shows five, ten years after the fact so we can just kind of have a cast reunion? I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit fuzzy on that, which I realize, as I'm saying this, there are people out there who are just like, dude, Shut up. We've, we've wanted this for half a decade. Can't you just let us be happy? <laughs> my, my, my response is to you, Darren, is, dude, shut up. Can't you just let us be happy? <laughs> uh, like, because I want the Veronica Mars movie. I'm, I'm, I, I, like, look, I, I, I recapped it for a couple of years in the early days of recapping shows uh, here at Entertainment Weekly. Um, I was a big fan. I think that, like, the first season of that show is, like, one of the most one of my favorite seasons of TV ever. I was also a big fan of the second season. The third season, they started getting away a little bit from their usual mystery model uh, of like season long mysteries. And I enjoyed it a little bit less, but I still was very riveted by these characters. And I do think that I, I would follow, I would have followed, I, I, I wanted more stories. and I kind of wanted to see where, where Veronica went with her relationship with her dad and with her friends and with Logan and, and all these people. Like I, I was really into that world. And, um, um, if they wanted to tell more stories in that world, I would buy them. You know, I, I, I would want to watch them. I would be greatly, and I, I greatly entertained by them as long as they were greatly entertaining. Well, um, well but I, I, I guess to me that is sort of the question is, and again, you know, I, I remember last year I sort of wrote something along these lines when the official announcement about Arrested Development came out, and, you know, that that is another show that is going to be revived, and hopefully it's going to be as fantastic as we all remember, and hopefully the, the new Veronica Mars is going to be fantastic. And listen, by the way, I don't criticize anyone who enjoys working together, who wants to make more stuff that they had fun doing before. Like, that's, that's that's fantastic. But I, I do sort of question, you know, I mean, even w- with Veronica Mars, uh, you know, the third season, fr- from my memory of it, I, I was very sporadic. Uh, I, I, I was a, a very sporadic Mars viewer at that point. I, it, it was just, it wasn't really that good, I thought. And I sort of wonder, you know, which Veronica Mars are we going to get here? Do we get the show that, you know, we all kind of love and remember from season one? Do we get the show it was in season three? Is it something completely different? And, you know, it's it's kind of, for me, a bit of the Sex in the City question. Uh, very different show, but in its prime, Sex in the City was fantastic, I, I, I think. But the movies were a lot more like the later seasons, which were less fantastic. And I, I, I don't know, I, I sort of... I'm always suspicious of Jeff. I'm, I'm suspicious of anything that, that that makes everyone very happy. No, I'm I'm suspicious of <laughs> I'm I'm suspicious of things that seem fueled by nostalgia because nostalgia is a very powerful force, um, and I also think it's 
a very boring force. I, I, I'm hard-pressed to think of things that were conceived entirely out of nostalgia that turned out, like, great. And so I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, I, I, I love the idea of this. I guess for me, it, it comes down to, Jeff, and you, you can say if I'm totally weird here, I have loved so many TV shows that have lasted, you know, less than a season, were cut off right in the middle of a storyline. I'm one of those people who still, whenever, like, any Deadwood cast member says anything about a movie, you know, my ears kind of perk up. I can't really think of any show where I would want to give money for it to continue on again. And I guess for me, I kind of view TV shows as, you know, like... They were they were great while they lasted. They were great probably specifically because of a number of factors that could never be repeated. I mean, certainly Arrested Development, I think, would have been a very different show if, if it had been successful. Um, for one thing, it, it might still be on, but that's neither here nor there. But I, I, I sort of wonder, you know, is this... Is the motivation for this just to kind of hang out with these characters again? And if so, you know, does that create something that's entertaining? Or is it entertaining just because it exists? Yeah, I think you're way overthinking this. Um, Like, I have no qualms with the whole premise of a group of creative people wanting to work together for the purpose of hopefully making a quality piece of entertainment for people who might actually really enjoy it. When it comes to our engagement with this movie when it comes out early next year – You know, like, yes, there's going to be part of that audience, the fans, that are just going to enjoy it purely on the level of, I get to hang out with Veronica Mars and her friends again. I get to hang out with Mac and Wallace and Logan and and, and, and Keith and and, and the extended world, and I get to see Max Greenfield as, like, Deputy Leo again. You know, (laughs) yes, and, and, and that will be about nostalgia, and that'll be, you know... You know, I don't necessarily think we have to make that bad, but it is what it is, right? Sure. Um, um, but hopefully, then they will also want what everyone else in that theater might want, especially people who the job it is to review movies, regardless if they have any rela- previous relationship with them, right? <laughs> um, which is a, 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 a really good movie, and and that sort of reintroduces these characters in a vibrant way that like might make everyone, not just the fans, but like but 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 new newcomers to the world of Veronica Mars want want more, or at least just really satisfy them. On a, on, and be able to walk out and say that was that was a great story, and I Absolutely. was really entertained in all of that. So, well, like, look, like, there's no guarantee for success in even the most original, daring production of anything, right? So, like, I, like that, that's why I'm kind of hung up with a little bit on your logic. I mean, I understand theoretically, like your concerns and worries about all that. I'm not exactly sure it's a reason not to do it, though. Totally know? not. And, and, and it, you know, like, uh, uh, someone who said it much better than me was actually uh, Todd Vanderwerf, who uh, writes TV reviews at the AV Club. What he kind of said, in a, in a way that I think was much more... Uh, much better than anything that I, that I could say was this. There's this concern that you know these people who are still very focused on Veronica Mars, 
like that's great. You know, how come they can't be watching Enlightened right now? You know, like when did we sort of become more focused on, you know, this TV show was the best ever. It's off. I want it to come back. When there are a lot of awesome shows on the air now that, you know, may- maybe, maybe, you know, it's all just going to run forward. And five years from now, I'll be donating to the Kickstarter for the Enlightened movie, which is totally possible. But- wait, 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 wait. Uh, unless there's more to this, I kind of, I don't understand the logic here. Who's to say these same Veronica Mars fans aren't watching Enlightenment? Can we have both? They absolutely can be, and perhaps they are. So you're saying that, like, like, oh, quit your whining, you nostalgic fanboy for, for, for Veronica Mars, and just just settle for your replacement, contemporary replacement show, i.e. Enlightenment? I mean, I don't understand. I think, like, I think actually, well, I think I kind of am, to be honest. I mean, you know, listen, I... Oh, I, I, I am. I, I, I reserve the right. That. I reserve the right to be. It's not as direct as that, but I do reserve the right to be skeptical of everything, and I am definitely skeptical. I'm definitely skeptical of the fact that I feel as if fandom, to a certain extent, has taken this turn where it's very much rooted in nostalgia. And again, nostalgia is not necessarily a bad thing, but I question that as a major motivation for extending a franchise onwards. I, at this point. I don't think I've seen any long-term franchise extension that necessarily is better than what the initial TV show was. Sex and the City is a good example. Serenity is a good example. Frankly, even The Return of Family Guy, I don't think it's ever been as good as it was in its first few seasons. Um, so I, I'm, I, I am skeptical of this on principle. I fully support things that people enjoy and that bring people joy. So I'm, I don't want to come off like I'm, you know, evil Uncle Scrooge here who, you know, is ruining all the Veronica Mars fans' fun and, and enjoyment of this. But I, you know, yeah, I, I just, yeah, I, like I, I don't, I, I again, I do understand your. I, I, I think I get what you're saying. Um, it's still not a really compelling reason yet to, for, for, for me to to not do it. I say let them do it. And let them fail. Absolutely. And if it fails, there will be no more of that. You know, like let them let them make this Veronica Mar- Bar- Mars movie for whatever reason they're going to make it. If it's awesome, you and I will say it's awesome. And it's like okay, that worked out. Yes. Like you know, and good for them. Good for the fans who were edified by something that was nostal- that that hit the nostalgic thing and gave them more and was was worth and was was just cool. Totally. Let me and, let me ask you a question. And, and with success, and then but if it if it if it doesn't if it, it if it's only going to end up being a nostalgia hit and that's the only way that it's going to satisfy Darren, it won't succeed. They'll never make anything more. I think that was the fire the, the serenity lesson, you know, which is they kind of thought that this is a show that would be. I think you know the thing about the whole Firefly to Serenity transition was. It was kind of built on a premise of not only was there more story to tell and we we were gone too soon, but man, if we could just craft the best pitch formulation of that, this can be the success uh, that we all knew it could be. It could reach that broader audience and we can – we, we, we can have the success we always thought that this thing could have. And there was so much buzz on that movie coming out. Everyone thought they're going to do it. Like Firefly is going to be a sensation now. 
and it opened at $10 million. <laughs> only appealed to the fans, had a huge drop off, and it was gone. You know, I think it must, I don't think you got Now, here's the thing, though. The funny thing with Serenity is, as I'm saying this, I'm realizing it actually did something very interesting, which I think it may have angered just as many fans as it did, you know, turn off the people who weren't fans, which, again, I, I think is, it shows that I, I think Joss Whedon does interesting things with his fan bases where he seems to sort of, you know, work actively to challenge them just as often as he sort of, you know, gives them what they want, which, which is very interesting and certainly, you know, may, may explain why Serenity didn't wind up doing that well. But, but it was a very entertaining movie. Very entertaining. You know, like, I remember when I saw the movie, it was like one of my favorite movies of the year. I thought it was as a sort of an expression of Firefly storytelling Maybe the best piece of Firefly story that storytelling that they, they had ever done. With there were a couple episodes of, of, of Firefly that I just I, I absolutely adore. Um, but I think it, the, the movie is like like one of my favorite Fireflyish things ever. And it just what the marketplace said was this this ultimately this story this world. It's just not going to support, like, it, it, we, we just can't support more well, now, of, now, of, of TV and movie storytelling. And let, so I just say, let the Veronica Mars marketplace decide this question as it, come, as it pertains to Veronica Mars. As it pertains to a business model for other shows, like, and for other revivals, again, as I said before, I just don't know if it can be viable or practical for, for everything, and whether it should. And then and, and to the larger point of... Do I want to now see Hollywood? This is where I kind of come around to your point a little bit. Yes, Jeff um, just said I won the argument. Uh, please, please continue, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is that, like, <laughs> like, do I want to see now Hollywood, like, like, start investing so much of its energy into saying, well, hey, I got these. 20 properties that may or may not be able to be movies. I'm going to put them all on Kickstarter and see what catches. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I don't know if that's a good use of anyone's time, you know, but like, totally. I don't know. Although, although you know, at, at the same time, Jeff, uh, I do want to say that as a TV fan, this makes me nervous. As a movie fan, though, I, I just love the idea that the initial pitch on this movie failed because they were like, oh, well, you know, it, it's not really, you know, we can't invest 40 or $50 million in this and making it a sort of bloated version of the TV show. I love the idea that instead, you know, it, I, I, I often feel like lower budgets are sometimes very good for, you know, creative types who can kind of work within that and really kind of, you know, challenge the restrictions that lower budgets give you. And I, I'm very intrigued by the idea of this maybe being a new business model that Hollywood is on board with, with let's actually create these smaller budgeted movies, maybe funded on Kickstarter, maybe if this succeeds, then not funded on Kickstarter, and see if those can do well. Because you know, it's almost funny to think of you know, the idea of a 40 or $50 million Veronica Mars movie, wouldn't that have basically covered the entire budget of a single season of Veronica Mars? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> right, uh, right. It would, have, it would have featured, you know, a, a, a guest appearance by, uh, you know, music star Miley Cyrus as, as, as Veronica's new best friend. Um, but uh, I, I... Yeah, I mean, I think you're right, exactly. I think that just going forward for Veronica Mars, what, what, what needs to happen there is... They make a really, really, you know, they make this low-budget movie, and it, um, the Veronica Mars faithful shows up for it, but it's also good enough that it attracts 
new fans and 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 and, and moviegoers who might find it appealing and moving forward like Warner Brothers like like says okay we will finance more Veronica Mars movies on this level mm-hmm. if if the filmmakers and the cast um are, are are interested if we have to go down this road again of like okay Veronica Mars the movie the sequel let's kickstart it folks 5 like, million uh, no, I mean it's just like okay, right? Like, that's where I might go. Yeah, Darren's right. Let we need to let this go. Jeff, let me ask you j- just one more question because this directly correlates to our other big topic today. Would you be interested uh, in seeing a movie directed and written by Rob Thomas, starring the cast of Veronica Mars, but it w- but not a Veronica Mars movie? It would be an original mystery piece featuring all our favorite actors from the creators of Veronica Mars, not Veronica Mars. Would you be excited for that? Wow, that's a really interesting question. Um, I don't know. And this is where I think it gets interesting is I think, you know, listen, I think it's so impressive that the people who gave money to the movie love something this much to give money to it. I've never loved anything that much. Um, And (laughs) that's that's probably not true. Before you go forward, just because I know where you want to take us. What I would say about that is I find those actors really appealing, and I do believe in Rob Thomas as a storyteller. I think that he's a really talented storyteller. I think that if I was to be told that the guy who made Veronica Mars had reunited his cast and they were going to do a mystery movie um, in the tone and spirit of Veronica Mars, but different characters, different premise altogether, of course I would be intrigued. I would want more information I would, I, I would, you know, am I, am I ready to line up and buy the ticket? No. Like, do I want, could I be really interested in that pitch? Yes. Um, I'm really, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I would be interested in, in, give me more, give me more. I want to know more about that. Uh, and then maybe I'll buy the ticket. Totally. Jeff, this leads directly into part two of our podcast today. Now, listeners, um, you may not know this, but uh, Jeff and I are on Twitter. I'm, I don't know if you've heard of Twitter. It's this thing where you write, you know, really funny things or smart things. or Usually, actually, you just write pretty stupid things, and then hopefully other people read them and retweet them. Um, or star them, or yes. favorite them, or whatever the, Sometimes, the lingo is. Jeff, the delicate etiquette of starring to retweeting is something that could really fill books and books and books. I, I, I only wish that, you know, I could, I, I, I could write, you know, Dear Abby and ask her, you know, what is the difference? Um, but we all know that she's a cyborg now. Jeff, over the weekend, we we got into a little we, we got into what the newspapers refer to as a a Twitter feud, although really it was more of a, a, a an exchange of ideas. Now I've sure that's what I like to think of it. It was it, it was a frank exchange of ideas between two people who really respect each other, um, which I, happens. I, I, I was thinking of it more actually, to be honest with you, Darren, of, of an intervention. <laughs> Uh, because what I was sensing was that, you know, you, you had, you, you know, 
you had gone to a dark place and become like a you know a, a Mr. Cranky Pants, and that that, that I, I needed to reach into that and 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 and, and kind of maybe challenge you. But please continue your narrative. So so listeners, there there are still debates happening now about what the nature of this conversation was. Let me just read it to you. I'm I'm now going to read you the tweets from I believe it was Saturday evening. Um, Saturday, okay, yes, yes. I, I, I see that uh, the first tweet was at 6.37 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on March 9th, 2013. <clears throat> From at Darren Franich. Great, so we get a Wizard of Oz prequel sequel now. Thank you, Disney, for efficiently reheating the corpse of my childhood wonder. T- two, two retweets, three favorites. <clears throat> Now, a few minutes later, from at EW Jock Jensen, Jock Jensen, hmm. <laughs> Wait at, a minute, who am I? This is, this is, this is. What have you renamed me, Darren? This is, this is, uh, um, that uh, it should have been EW Doc Jensen. Jock Jensen, as we all know, was the popular superhero from the late 30s who was later, later retconned into a Superman villain. Fr- from Jeff Jensen, confused, were you hoping that your dead childhood wonders stayed cold? That's, that was my Jeff Jensen impression, by the way, everyone. Very nice. All right. From Darren Franich. When reheated, I would hope the childhood wonder receives new flavors, wicked, and not lots of processed cheese, Oz the Great and Powerful. You can see the metaphor really going places here, listeners. Um, Jeff Jensen. I understand your point, but seriously, did you go into that movie with those expectations? That's the measure of success? After many long minutes of sipping coffee, I respond... Only real measure of success is show me something new, but for branded movies, I accept remix stuff I know interestingly. Jeff, in response, does the show me something new measure become increasingly severe slash unfair because you have seen so much slash will see more? (laughs) I respond after taking several shots of whiskey. I think it's only unfair to movies that are explicit recreations of other stuff but maybe those movies should try harder. I respond again, and good ones do. Abrams' Star Trek and Nolan's Bat movies and Spider-Man 2 and 3 are great because they're old and new. To which Jeff responded, no doubt really sad he'd even started this conversation with me. Sounds like a podcast topic, combined with an intervention on your Spidey 3 defense. That opinion needs to be dot, 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 corrected. That was my that was my shining impression. That was that was a, a shining impression slipped into Twitter. I'll, that's just the kind of fun stuff that you'll get if you follow us on Twitter at Darren Franich and at EW Doc Jensen. Um, now, Jeff, there's there's so many things to sort of unpack here, not least of which the fact that I apparently capitalize things quite a bit when I tweet. Um, but uh, I, I, to provide some backstory on this. I had, immediately before tweeting, just read that the new Oz movie had made a gigantic, bountiful amount of money over the weekend. Feeling a, a little bit cynical about the state of Hollywood, I sort of said, well, you know, this, is, this means we're going to get another movie based on this movie that was based on this book series that was based on this, that, and the other. You know, it, it seemed like a little bit of a blind alley. So in a moment of crankiness, you know, I did tweet that. Now... I should point out to all the listeners that I committed a cardinal sin of pop culturedom, which is I had not seen the Oz movie when I tweeted that. It's just totally lame to prejudge a movie, even if it doesn't look like something you'll enjoy. So I've seen it now, and I stand by my sort of uh, concern about the notion of a sequel to a movie that seems to me to kind of be a lot about 
the reflected glory of stuff. But I, I want to talk a little bit more, Jeff, about this idea of, you know, how, how should we approach movies like that? I mean, there are so many movies now that very explicitly either their remakes or their sequels or their reboots of movies that just came out a few years earlier. You know, my general, I generally, Jeff, try to approach everything with a complete open mind. You know, we, especially because of the work we do, know so much about what goes into movies and TV shows and works of art. That should ideally all kind of fall by the wayside. But are we at this point now where, you know, with a movie like Oz or with a movie like, you know, The Amazing Spider-Man, should we be approaching these in a different way? I mean, you know, do, do they get great inflation because, you know, they're sort of working material that's been worked before and so whatever they add is kind of value added? Or, if anything, should we be, you know, should we approach them maybe judging them more harshly because, you know... With Spider-Man, there's been four movies at this point. Theoretically, you know, they should have worked all the kinks out. So should we approach the next one as if, well, this one has to be, this should totally be great. I mean, you know, Orson Welles only got one chance to make Citizen Kane. So, you know, maybe this one should be, I don't know what, we're, I'm, 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 I'm throwing out a a lot of things here, Jeff. What, What do you think about this, though? Well, my first question, my, my first response is to ask question is that, you know, when when you're saying how do we approach these things, who, who's the we in this? I think it's just we, uh, you know, person who enjoys movies first and foremost. Um, yeah. You know, which which again is is you know obviously. Whenever you talk about that, people approach movies for all sorts of reasons. And, you know, some people go see movies because they're bored. And, well, I guess that doesn't happen so much now that movies tend to cost about $15. But, you know, sometimes it's just kind of show me a good time. For me, you know, because maybe I'm, you know, I'm fortunate enough that, you know, I've always really loved movies. You know, when I was a kid, I was totally the kid who was, you know, wanting to see every big new release, even if it seemed like it was going to be bad because when you're a kid, you know, nothing is really bad. I mean, I remember I laughed, I've never laughed harder than I did at Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me. Um, But, you know, I, I, I just, I sort of wonder, you know, now that we're at this point where I, I think it's very clear that, you know, Movies like Oz, and it's it's lame to use this movie as the only example because you know we we just had the twenty third James Bond movie make over a billion dollars. <laughs> it seems like, and, and you know, and by the way, I I really enjoyed Skyfall. I I saw that movie twice in theaters, but it does seem like almost in a way that kind of franchise model has become so much a part of Hollywood now. And I I sort of just wonder, you know. Are we at the point where do we just kind of say, well, you know what? A franchise movie, it's not a real movie in the same sense that, you know, um, something like The Social Network or The King's Speech is. You know, it's it's made for a very different reason, for a very different audience. It's made with the intention of, you know, ultimately producing more of itself, which, you know, if, if they make money off of it, then, you know, who are we to kind of, you know, criticize that? I, I guess to me the, the main question is, Jeff, you know... If it's Oz the Great and Powerful and Wizard of Oz, you know, are those just really two different things? You know, like, we think that they're both movies, but are they just so completely removed in what they're trying to achieve? Right. Um, I would, to my very specific answer to that latter question is yes. I just don't really see... um, um, that you know, 
Return to Oz. Is that, what's the new Oz movie called? Oz, Oz the Great and Powerful. You're thinking of Return to Oz, the, the mid-80s Walter Murch dark cult classic. <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, that's how I approach the situation. I do not see um, Oz the Great and Powerful on a continuum with um, The Wizard of Oz. I understand how it's been presented to us, right? Like as as the story about how Professor Marvel, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Although he has a different, yeah, yeah. Professor Oz, basically, yes. Yeah, how he sort of like um, wound up um, in in Oz, and and you know, but I I don't really see it as. You know, that's not necessarily any kind of backstory that I I've been waiting for uh, my 43 years on the planet, and I think that uh, that the, the, the culture has been waiting for ever since the the, the, the first movie, the, the the musical, well, the, the Judy Garland mo- uh, movie at least. You know, mm-hmm. um, so I just kind of see it as, as as kind of very different enterprises, and like this new Oz movie is sort of like a you know a, it's a you know big fantasy in a time when big fantasy works and. And, and, and sells and it's and it's and it's based on a on an existing property which makes it much more easy to market with some very classic characters and archetypes that you know that a lot of uh, big name actors would want to sign on board and, and, and play and that enhances the the whole package of it all and for filmgoers such as yourself uh, or of a certain age there's something about that that strikes us as kind of unfortunate. Because, you know, we, we kind of see through that and, 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 and what we see is a movie that basically got made um, in a very conservative time. You know, that, that's what we kind of feel about the movie is like maybe like um, it got made because um, it works, not because it, it, there's a creative reason for it to exist per se. You know, mm-hmm. I've not seen Oz and I don't really feel like I should probably say much more about it, but just like um, – because I mean, full disclosure, I am making a movie with the Walt Disney Company, so like, I I don't really feel like I should probably comment on this. I use it as an example of a larger phenomenon, though, that we've talked about a lot in the entertainment industry these days about why and what kinds of movies get made and for what reasons, right? And I think that all of us have become kind of cynical and jaded in this business about that, um, and, and, and not necessarily rightly so, like at a time where we, we, we kind of hunger for, like, you know, not necessarily unfairly, I mean, like, we all kind of hunger for, you know, more, I think we hunger for uh, like originality is maybe just the most straightforward right. I mean, way like, to put it. I feel like you know it's like like you know we we can make this very simplistic and, and it's a much more sophisticated and complicated situation. But yeah, just like when we when we kind of see through, we see behind the curtain, if you will, and you know we see how you know the guy behind the curtain and and and, and, and pushing the levers and pressing the buttons and 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 all of that, and so we understand then why and how movies like these get made. It's a little easy for us to kind of go, really, you know, um, <laughs> but, but, but um, like more of this um, because it works like, OK, but you know what? Like what I would also say is that Oz is just not for you and me, man. Like mm-hmm. I, that's that's what I would say. And I, and I think that like um, my daughter has not yet seen Oz. 
uh, the great and powerful, but she can't wait. And she and she she's seen the commercials, she's seen the ads, and it looks like an amazing time, you know. And and she's seen the old movie, and she's read the book, and she wants to she wants to see this new thing. It looks dazzling to her. It probably looks like something that could, she, she can relate to more easily and readily than um, the older movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and she wants to go, and she wants all of us to go as a family. You know, like she doesn't want to go by herself, you know. She wants mom and dad to take her. I think she thinks that would be a great time. And um, I, I do look forward to taking to her, taking her uh, to the movie, and uh, because I'm a, Sam, I'm a fan of, of San Raimi, first and foremost, I... Like I do have that at least that that interest in seeing like well what's he gonna do how how is he gonna express his Sam Raiminess um and with with with, with the with the uh, sort of like um the, uh, the 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 fantasy through the fantasy world of Oz and um and so I'm I'm really interested in that and that's my gonna be my primary reason of like what what I'm sort of getting out of this movie um uh, you know on, on that level but. I, I see this movie not necessarily as a um, part and parcel of a the Oz franchise or an attempt or or whatever. I, I my my relationship with it more is like you know I kind of see it through my daughter's eyes, and for sure. her, it's this really cool looking movie with characters that yes, she kind of knows through pop culture, um, but I think that she sees those actresses. And I think that she sees the the, the fairies and the and, and, and the witches and all that. And I think that's a that's part of a, a, a fantasy world that really she's really interested in. Um, Wait, Jeff, and, Jeff, and, I'm sorry, Jeff. She, she, so she sees it as something that's that's really compelling, and so it's a movie for her. That's what I look. Jeff, at are it. you saying your daughter is more excited about that than the new Terrence Malick movie? I mean, uh, what kind of what kind of ship are you running over at the Jensen family household? I, 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 no. <laughs> Slowly, man. Slowly. No, but, but, no, get but, them in the door, and and, and, and I, get them in the door of like wanting to actually see a movie in a movie theater. <laughs> I'm I'm I am i joking. I I completely understand that, and you know there is always this weird sense. This is why, honestly, it's most difficult to talk about movies like this. And I certainly include you know movies like the new Star Trek, movies like the upcoming you know expanded Star Wars universe. Is there's a side of it where I'm just like you know. I'm now old enough to see that there are movies that came out when I was, you know, let's say in my, my late teens, early 20s, that at the time I was like, those movies are ridiculous, and, you know, like, they're so silly, they're just for kids. And now it's like those kids who are in their early 20s, you know, people who are like interning here at EW, they kind of remember those as classics in the same way that I remember some stupid movies from when I was a kid as, 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 as classics. And so it, it makes it difficult, I think, because... It's hard to talk about this and not just sound like you're saying, well, my Oz movie was better, you know? And I, I think that that is certainly something else to work into the equation. I, I do want to ask, though, so have has your daughter seen Old School Wizard of Oz, or, or is, is has that even kind of entered onto her, her radar at all? I think so. I can't be, I, I, to be honest with you, like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think that she has. Uh-huh. I think that maybe she watched it with mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't recall... Um, um, watching with her, can I be full disclosure? Which is, which is, I don't know if I would have watched it with her because heresy. I'm not a really big Wizard of Oz fan. Heresy. Like I, I, I don't like the books. I've mm-hmm. tried to read them. I don't get into them. 
um, you know, like I'm I'm 40, I'm about to turn 43. Um, this movie was what, like 43 years old or so by the time I was, I mean, like, yes. born, I, like I, I don't know. This was already someone, this was like not even my parents' movie. This was my grandparents' movie. Yes. And like, it was always an old movie. It was always something that I had to like, like look, I like I understand the magic of it all and blah, blah, blah. And believe me, <laughs> You know, the first like forty some odd minutes of that movie do really work for me. I'm 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 actually like really interested in sort of like the 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 uh, the hardship of, of of them living on that farm. I think um, the, the the witch scared the hell out of me when I was a kid. Totally. Oh, I mean, like that works as a kid. Like even unto now, I think like that effect, that performance, the visual effect, the laugh. Like she's a scary piece of work. Well, and and like as as a villain, you know, there's this weird sense that so often now in movies that are aimed specifically at kids, there's this sort of winking sense that well, they're a villain, but you know, maybe they're not that bad. You know, maybe they have their own. She's just like she she's gonna kill some people. I mean, you you you, you get that sense from the first scene with her, and it just gets freakier and freakier from there. Right, and and just sort of the whole sort of like they're like a. Uh, disturbing nature of like yeah it's like it's it's a weird and odd and kind of you know uh like this house fell on a witch and killed her and like uh and and, and Dorothy is to blame for it and mm-hmm. like and all that and there is something about the mythic hero's journey of the whole narrative that I do think kind of sinks deeply and work on works on you and like I think the the whole wizard of oz thing works and like the the reveal of the man behind the curtain those kinds of iconic moments I like I I, I you know like connect with me like um scarecrow cowardly lion um tin man uh, tin man yeah, like as characters, like the, the, I, I thought they were always kind of goofy. I thought that was kind of always kind of like tedious. It was like, okay, get the gang together already, and let's let let's go meet the wizard. Oh, you know, Jeff, like, Jeff, you, you can't you can't see it, but a single tear is running down my eye right now. <laughs> right, I mean, that, that, that just, uh, the songs, like there was music in that movie, right? Yeah, somewhere over the there rain. was I mean, there was music in that, in that, that like, movie. <laughs> Jeff, this is this is fascinating. You know, it's funny. So one thing I want to say is I'm certainly not an Oz fan by any means. Like I, I tried reading Ozma of Oz once, which I believe is the sequel that loosely inspired Return to Oz. I guess I am sort of an Oz fan because I know that random fact. But uh, the books I certainly don't think have aged that well. I don't know, though, man. That, that movie. And the funny thing is it's a movie where, you know, I, I I find that it really conjures up for me the sort of weirdness and the wonderfulness of fantasy much more so than a lot of other movies made much later. Even even the fact that, you know, the fact that you can sort of see the edges of, you know, the stage and it's so clearly a matte painting, somehow it all just flows together. Um boy, you're 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 wrong about Scarecrow though. That's all I'm gonna say. I would I would I would I would recommend another another viewing in the in the Jensen family household. But it, but the, the funny thing about Wizard of Oz... Talk about nostalgia, though. I mean, let's like, bring this full circle. I mean, like, like why... Like, please don't ask me to watch that movie for the 50th frickin' time. Because why? Because... 
Nostalgia? Is that what you're asking? Absolutely not. Uh, well, so so now uh, I, uh, EW's own Keith Staskowitz, who wrote the cover story about uh, Oz the Great and Powerful, he made a very good point, which is that the original Wizard of Oz, I mean, you know, I, I worry that I sound like I'm some highfalutin, like, you know, auteur theory slinging elitist here. Original Wizard of Oz had like five different directors, was only made because they wanted to capitalize on the kind of youth fantasy trend of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, and I believe it was itself the second or third filmed adaptation of The Wizard of Oz. So we're not we're not talking about a movie that was you know conceived by you know you know Orson Orson Welles and, and Alfred Hitchcock were not like you know first in line to direct this movie, um, but. I, I do think that the reason why it's aged and why I think there's more to it than nostalgia, full disclosure, I watched it a lot when I was a kid, is that it does have remarkably good character dynamics, and I think it's weirdly very um, progressive, even compared to a lot of movies made today, in its portrayal of the female characters. I mean, if you think about it, Oz is really this matriarchy where this heroic gal from Kansas comes in, and every man is as impotent as he can possibly be. And I think there's there's a lot of interesting stuff there that seems to have maybe just slipped in because all of Hollywood at the time was just working on this movie. But I think I think there's more there than nostalgia, though. Um, but I, at the same so time, what's interesting, what's interesting about your point to kind of kind of bring it back on on point to what we're talking about is is that what you're saying then is that Wizard of Oz. Um, if, if what we kind of began this sort of conversation about uh, conversation with um, at least the, the this 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 movie portion of it is this sort of like weariness and disdain and just knee-jerk dismissal of, of of movies because we see them as products of a certain kind of like business model or cynical sensibility or marketplace dynamics i.e there is no creative reason for this movie to exist it's interesting that you note that the wizard of oz this amazing classic movie which regardless of my opinion about i completely understand that it is one of the most significant important movies if not one of the great movies ever made like it was made from that exact same like sensibility oh absolutely i mean i i mean if not if not a much much worse sensibility um and uh, you know and, and this is where it's worth pointing out that you know I do think that a movie like The Dark Knight, which we've certainly talked about before on this podcast, I think that's a movie that, you know, took a a brand that was, you know, even older than The Wizard of Oz, I, I, I th- or, or at least older than the movie The Wizard of Oz. And, you know, that feels like a movie that, you know, putting aside everything else that, that's interesting about it, a movie that, you know, for the youth of 2008 will really reverberate for them in a really interesting way. And, you know, I, I guess that's really... I guess the issue is always, you know, if a movie is good, a movie is good. You know, you right. you, it, you you set aside all this other highfalutin stuff. You know, what what kind of symbolism does it have? What's its treatment of women? Like, you know, like whatever. I, I think at a certain point, if a movie is good, then you know it sort of justifies itself. And so I guess that's where you know, as I look more and more at the movies that are made in franchises you know, there's this urge towards something that tries to do something a little bit different and is maybe weirder and maybe doesn't really fit and maybe, you know, is more experimental. And that's why Spider-Man 3 is an overlooked movie, Jeff Jensen. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, 
I mean, before we get into that, if we get into that at all, um, that was part of the point of my tweets to you this past weekend, which is that I think that for people like you and you and I, like um, you and me, like um, how, uh, like all sense of grammar and, and, and proper forms of uh, the process of communication go out the door when we need to do these podcasts. <laughs> but, but like for people like you and I, like you and I, what? Do, me and you and you and me, no matter how you uh, cut there the dice, it, it had to be. <laughs> <laughs> okay, whatever. We have to work harder at appreciating these movies because we have to push through this accumulation of pop culture stuff as a result of our fandom and as a result of our jobs. We, we consume more and are then therefore affected by more than the average consumer, right? Sure. I mean, I just think that like um, – and, and I think that when, when we are duty-bound, the have to, as part of our jobs, watch all of these fantasy movies regardless of why they were made, regardless of their quality. They all stack up. They all stack up. All stack up so that, you know, like we get another one. And, you know, we kind of like uh, uh, enough already and it's harder than to just sort of meet it on its own terms. Right. Like Mm -hmm. and just like, is it going to succeed? And like um, and so that, you know, in that frustration, sometimes I wonder if that's where we end up writing the huge sweeping pop culture trend essay of like. Get rid of these movies. Sure, <laughs> like, sure. Originality, please. Or sure, like, but but no more revivals of old TV shows and turned into movies, please. That's that's all totally fair, Jeff. Uh, but at the same time, I think the argument also works on the other side of things, which is you know, like uh, and this is getting a little inside baseball, so I'll try to expand it. You know. In our jobs, we see a lot of movies. We see a lot of TV shows. Frankly, we're probably we we know more about movies than a lot of people, or at least we should, because otherwise, you know, we should probably lose our jobs right now. <laughs> but I, I I do sort of feel like what it comes back around to for me ultimately is I'm not sure that the end answer to that is you know. We should go into Iron Man 3, you know, knowing that, you know, we've seen it all before, but, you know, maybe somebody else will be new to it. Maybe to me, the answer is we should go into Iron Man 3 being like, listen, you guys, you ha- you've had two movies now to work the kinks out. This should be like really awesome and really interesting. I mean, I, I, I sort of question that that notion of we need to check ourselves. Maybe they should check themselves, Jeff. <laughs> right. I totally <laughs> agree with you. But Darren, like... We are a defensive tribe, you know, <laughs> and like, um, so I totally agree circle with the wagons. You. <laughs> I, I like, I, 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 I totally agree with with what you're saying. At the same time, I find it interesting that it comes the point you're making this point out of a challenge to you, right? Which mm-hmm. is like, you know, we have to work harder, work harder, okay, but you have to work even harder. You well, know, like, we, should, um, we should all work I, harder. <laughs> what? What, what? I was just saying we, we, we should all work harder is what I was saying. We should all work harder at our jobs. But I don't disagree. I, uh, like I, I don't disagree with your point. I, 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 do, I do get it. And, and, and like with sequels also, yeah, like I think that with Iron Man 3, like, you know, this is a movie that, you know, the, the, the deeper – I mean, yeah, I mean um, with, with sequels in general as we get deeper into these franchises – 
um, they should be getting better, if not worse, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we agree on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because this team has worked together, and you've you got to think that they have a story to tell and that they um, have, have figured out the, the, the best possible versions of, of, of their stories to tell and how to do it right. Um, even if we're just going to get, like, you know, even if it's just a Bond, you know, there is no continuity in the Bond saga. You yeah. know, every single James Bond movie is just an elaborate action movie built around this one character and with various motifs that are that are that are unique to his world. I, I, I mean, they're they're essentially just remakes of themselves with you know slight tweaks to villains and you know the changing styles of the times. But yeah, absolutely, right. it's so it's I, not it's not a series. I, I kind of feel like like we can like um we can come to a Bond film with very high standards because that is a that is a decades old movie making machine um they sh- they should not only be able to make a really competent good movie but like like this might be rather grandiose but like i kind of feel like they should be setting the standard for an action movie mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and if they're not then like yeah why does this movie exist mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. well and, and 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 you know and who knows and you know again I, I, I think that, you know, whenever we get, whenever anyone who's in our business gets into conversations like this about the state of Hollywood, it kind of can't help but sound, you know, sad and worried and all that stuff. And, you know, I, I think the important thing to keep in mind, everything we've talked about today is very exciting. I mean, you know, the world is in a state of, of great change right now. Hollywood is certainly in a state of great change. I sort of feel like what it all comes down to is, you know, those of us who grew up liking movies and TV shows a certain way, we're now seeing and have seen radical change on, on every level. I mean, you know, just to, just to think of random examples, explosion of cable, the rise of digital effects, all that stuff. Like, I, the, int- the interesting thing to me to directly address what you just said is at a certain point with Bond movies, you sort of stop comparing them to other movies and you just say, well, a Bond movie is a sort of medium unto itself. And, you know, Goldfinger is widely accepted as the best example of what people think that medium is. Maybe maybe Skyfall is now. I mean, like, maybe that has sort of taken over. And I I just sort of wonder if, you know, at a certain point, are we just going to say, well, you know, Oz, the great and powerful part for, you know, Oz to the future was, you know, maybe not as good as Oz the Great and Powerful Part 3, Tokyo Drift, but it was a significant improvement over Oz the Great and Powerful. You know, I, I wonder if that's just going to kind of be the future of, of franchise movies like that. Um, did you like how I, I I just titled... I just gave Disney free titles for their next five Oz movies. <laughs> very, very nicely done there. <laughs> Um, you know, this is probably a subject for another, you know, podcast. But you know, as as long as we're bashing or critiquing or offering maybe constructive advice or 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 none at all um, about these big franchise movies and how you know how we talk about them, how we should talk about them, how we engage them, I am just as equally concerned with to be honest with you, with, with, with how we deal with maybe the rare phenomenon, maybe not as rare as we like to think um, um, they are, but the, but the quote-unquote original movies mm-hmm. that come down the pike. I think that one of the, the great critical failures of this past year 
was like for, for, for um, uh, was just the way that the critical community dealt with the master. You know, mm-hmm. like now here is a filmmaker in Paul Thomas Anderson that um, is trying to do what we say we want more of. You know, um, original movies, adult movies with grownups and 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 and, th- and deep themes and challenging material and a challenging storytelling voice. And, you know, I, I think that there were some critics that rose to the occasion of sort of like uh, really kind of trying to wrangle with that movie and, and, and delve into it. I'm not saying give it a free pass and like, you know, d- d- call it a masterpiece. But at the same time, I've, I, you know, just like in, in the race to say something first about the master, we get a lot of half-baked and truncated opinions. And we got a lot of like, a lot of dis you know, just like way too, you know, uh, pat dismissal. Oh, this is weird. Absolutely. Uh, well, well, and I mean, like, like, you know, these are the same critics that kind of like are the most frustrated with like Holly, you know, the, 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 the big, you know, the, the, the surplus and overabundance of franchise movies. And then they just chew up and spit out the master super quick. I think, you know? well, I, I think you're absolutely right. And, and to me, you know, the, the critique that I sort of read and, you know, full disclosure, I loved the master. It confused me, but I, I walked out really feeling like I'd seen something very unique. And I, I, I was, I, I, I found it a very gripping movie experience. I, I, I do feel like there was this, this often critique of, well, you know, it's, it's clear that Anderson is doing all this lofty stuff, but it's just boring. And to me, that's almost, you know, that I find very frustrating because, you know, to me, it's, it's very hard for me to find a movie boring. And maybe it's just because I feel like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a very cheap date when it comes to being engaged with a movie. And so I, I, it is frustrating. And I think a lot of it might come, Jeff, from the fact that, you know, to a certain extent, we're all kind of experts, or so we think, in what makes a good franchise movie, or in, in what makes a good blockbuster movie. You know, and I think it's maybe because the recipe for those is a little bit more simple. Maybe it's because you know we sort of feel as if, with the rise of the kind of behind-the-scenes coverage of these movies, we have a larger part in them than we used to. I, I'm not saying that's true. I just I definitely get the sense, you know, whenever I read the comment boards on, you know, the latest casting post for the next X-Men movie, there's always a lot of opinions. Some of them very interesting about, you know, here's what X2, you know, did right. Here's what X3 did wrong. That feels a little bit like, you know, you're kind of reducing the critical experience to a formula and I sort of feel like that's when you're so used to that and you see something like the master I mean of course your response is a little bit pat and simple and you know when to me that's a movie that you know someone you know I would I I would gladly read a whole book on that film or you know I'd love to see someone do you know a kind of room 237 style documentary about it because I think that you know there there are some riches there and yeah I, I sort of wonder what does it mean for the quote-unquote critical establishment if it can't necessarily engage with that? <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, that's probably a deeper conversation. As is, have you seen Room 237? I haven't seen it yet. Is it good? Oh, I love it. Oh, my God, really? Yeah, I thought it was really good. I And, uh, yeah, I actually just watched it the other day. Um, and... Um, 
and I, I, I've heard mixed things about it going into it, um, but it, it really worked for me. Well, we need to do a full-scale Shining 237 podcast, I think, because the Shining, the Shining is, is the movie that haunted my nightmares for a, for a large majority of my youth, and, and, and still today. Um, but, uh, Jeff, uh, do, do you have any final thoughts, though? We're, we're, we, we've sort of dug really deep here, possibly dug ourselves into a hole, um, and I'm sure we'll be like re- revisiting this in future podcasts, but any kind of th- final ideas to close us out with? Well, clearly we're not in good podcasting shape, Darren. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we've kind of fallen off the, 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 the training regimen and uh, our, our game a little bit as we've been swamped in work, uh, but we'll get better at it as we get back on the horse. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, I, I want to just say to all our listeners, you know, thank you so much. We love you more than you can know. Uh, you know, thank you for your patience with us and for putting up with the fact that, you know, we both kind of stammer through. We're not so good with the talkie talkie. We're better with the righty righty. Uh, to put well, it in, you are. <laughs> like, like I, 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 I'm getting worse and worse with the typos as I get older, um, and apparently we're getting worse and worse with the copy editing. Exactly. Um, Woo! Um, but what? but what? Um, <laughs> look, or at least with me, um, like yeah, I mean, like my final thought is, and I, I just, I just feel this in my own pop culture consumption. Uh, as I get older is like this tension between, am I just being cynical about these things? Um, but at the same time, am I, but I, I don't, I don't want to, uh, I worry about the level of cynicism at the same time. I don't want to be too accepting. Um, and I, I want to be discerning and I want to be demanding, but I also want to be more gracious and more open, um, to, uh, uh, so I, I just, in my own, you know, in terms of kind of like what was the impetus, especially for the latter half of this conversation, which was these, 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 these good-natured ribbings of you, to be really honest with you, like <laughs> o- o- online. But in terms of the deeper themes of it all, yeah, I just kind of feel like, like, I don't want to be that snarky jerk, you know. Um, Absolutely not. But I, but I want good stuff too. Like you know, I know, I, I, I want the movies to be good. I want, I want great television. I want great movies. Um, I, I, my guess is I'm probably a little bit more op- like you know, I, I, my definition of what can be good is probably bigger, l- larger than like you know. Uh, other people that I work with, not necessarily you, but Large, like, you know, larger than some people who I'm having this podcast with right now. <laughs> right. But like, yeah, I mean, I, but I, I'm on the side of quality. Um, 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 but I, 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 but I, but I'm also firmly against like cynicism. And I think that in our business, um, we stand a great danger of becoming just cynical. Absolutely. You know, our time in it. I think that Steven Soderbergh said it best, and unfortunately I have to paraphrase him, but uh, in an interview with New York Magazine, he just said that, you know, there was a time when film critics were very good at, like, expressing their love of movies, and he just felt like he, as a filmmaker, had seen more that, you know, a lot of the contemporary criticism has more fun with the negative stuff than gets tongue-tied with the positive. We should aspire we should we should hope for good things, Jeff, but we should also aspire to be better ourselves at recognizing those good things. Absolutely. But by the way, and that's probably another podcast. One of the maybe the most provocative point, though, that I think that Soderbergh made in that interview was that it's easier for us to be negative, but it's harder for us to communicate what's 
good mm-hmm. about a movie, mm-hmm. which I thought was really provocative and, and, and hard to wrap my mind around too. Like I think that was it was hard to understand, and it kind of inspired a lot of sort of second day and third day kind of discussion among critics and uh, bloggers online. Like, well, what did he mean by that? But that was an interesting point that he was making, which is that we, um, you know, it's like it's easy for us to be very dismissive and maybe rightly so, but he's also noticed that it's really hard for us to. Um, to, 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 to really kind of like articulate what is actually very successful about a movie. Absolutely. Interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I guess, yes. in the end, in the end, listeners, goodness is better than badness is basically what, what we've been there building we to here. Um, but, uh, and, and, you know, listen, Jeff, you know me, if every movie made by Hollywood were a sequel to, to the Fast and the Furious, I'd be, you know, as, as long as they were good, I'd be on board with it. Um, so, yeah, listeners, just, 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 Understand that Darren Franich, EW's Darren Franich, like everything that he says, just keep in mind that this is coming from a guy who can't wait for the next Fast and Furious movie, like can't wait for G.I. Joe 2, whatever it's called, and thinks that Spider-Man 3 is one of, uh, is, 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 is what, like, did you call it the Citizen Kane of superhero movies? I, I don't know if I I don't know if if I've ever said that before. Now hold hold on just one second. If anything, it's more like the the lady from Shanghai of of superhero <laughs> movies. Oh, oh wow! <laughs> well, that's an interesting filter there. Like, that is an interesting uh, filter. Well, w- walk around for a day inside of my brain, Jeff Jensen. It's a very scary place. The lady from Shanghai. <laughs> of superhero movies. I mean, um, like there is nothing in Spider-Man Three as as awesome as the most awesome part of the lady from Shanghai. <laughs> that that may be true, but then again, maybe no superhero movie has ever been as awesome as any Orson Welles movie. But uh, um, on that on, on that provocative note, um, let's leave off. Jeff, always a pleasure talking to you, listeners. We will try to be better at uh, posting these. Uh, if you enjoyed this conversation, feel free to comment or uh, you can tweet at us at Darren Franich and at EW Doc Jensen. You can also tweet at EW Jock Jensen if you want to, although I'm not sure I'm not sure that's taking you won't be getting any response. <laughs> um, thanks again for listening. As always, I'm Darren Franich. And I'm not. See you next week, maybe. Uh-huh.